CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. It's Friday, March 17th, and welcome to another edition of The Ben Jarofsky Show. On today's show, Pat Whalen makes his triumphant return to Oh What a Week. The Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for everything there is to know in the city of Chicago. You want to know where to go? You want to know what to do? You want to know what to eat, what to drink? It's all there. ChicagoReader.com. Oh, yeah, and there's uh, extra stuff that you can't get by just listening to this show. You, you have to go to ChicagoReader.com. You can find columns from Ben Jarofsky, bonus interviews, all that stuff. Just go to ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. That's J-O-R-A, B as in victory, S-K-Y. Hello again, everybody. Ben Drusky here. We're calling this Mad Dog Talks Friday. <laughs> and here's why. Actually, it's a what a week, but my lead item is Mad Dog Talks. Yes, Mad Dog. Michael Joseph Madigan, former House Speaker. You remember him? Oh, come on, listeners. Your memory can't be that short. You're utterly obsessed with him for a couple of years. Why were you obsessed with him? I'll tell you why you're obsessed with him. We'll get into this a little more in a little while. Because Bruce Rauner and Kenny G spent millions and millions of dollars bombarding you with campaign commercials that brainwashed you into thinking Michael Joseph Madigan was horrible. And let me just tell you this. He was your basic centrist dem. Guys like me, old lefties. Yeah, we can rant and rail about Michael Joseph Madigan, but he was essentially doing what you centrists want. And he turned on him. Why? Because Bruce Rauner <laughs> paid for all those commercials. I am not going to do an imitation of a Chicago and watching a TV commercial. Oh, my God, I'm so concerned. I'm a Chicagoan. <laughs> I saw a commercial. Oh, Michael Madigan. And then they get everybody at WTTW. Let's talk about Madigan. He's horrible. He's awful. He's terrible. <laughs> oh, my Lord. You guys are pieces of work. Anyway, the reason why Michael Joseph Madigan is in the news is the corruption trial. Yes, corruption in the city of Chicago. The corruption scheme having to do with Commonwealth Edison. I, by the way, the, the Commonwealth Edison corruption scheme is a piece of work. I'll repeat what I always say about it. Essentially, the, the central accusation is that Michael jo Joseph Madigan swapped favors uh, from ComEd Ed, uh, Edison for pushing through their rate hike, their new uh, a plan that enabled them to soak you saps for even more money than you're already paying for your electricity. And he got some jobs for his cronies, et cetera, and so forth. What it doesn't explain is why the Republicans voted for it. You know what I'm saying? Oh, it's such corruption. The Democrats are corrupt. I remember around, oh, it's corrupt. It's horrible, Kenny G. It's corrupt. It's horrible. The Tribune editorial board, it's so corrupt. Yeah, well, why did the Republicans vote for it? Did they get jobs too, or did they just believe in giving more money to Commonwealth Edison? Never, nobody ever asked that question. 
hey, Bruce Rauner, if it was so horrible, why did the report? My guest is just like replicating on the screen. It's very bizarre. Anyway, so that's the corruption scandal, horrible corruption scandal. I'm following in great detail. We talked about it at length. Uh, so there's it's divided into two sections, as I guess. The first section of the four cronies of Madigan are on a trial. Uh, and then they're probably just going to you know, use those <laughs> that trial to go after the big tuna, the big dog himself, Michael Joseph Madigan. So he's been indicted and there will be a trial for him sometime in the future, I guess, next year. Anyway, uh, so they released yesterday a day one of the trial and they released the tapes. They were secretly taping Michael Joseph Madigan. The feds were. And they have uh, Michael talking on the phone uh, to Mike, Michael McCain, uh, who for years has just been his uh, loyal sidekick. I, I don't know if he's the guy like in The Godfather, the Robert Duvall character. I kind of think he's kind of like that. You know, I th- kind of think he plays that role. Uh, but anyway, so it turns out that uh, when Michael Madigan had to lower the boom on someone to fire them, to kick them out, he would have McLean make the phone call. And so uh, yesterday, to, for example, they told uh, about what happened to State Representative Lou Lang. I don't know if longtime listeners of the Ben Jarofsky show remember him. He used to come on the show and explain uh, budget matters, uh, a Democrat from Skokie. And uh, he was one of Michael Joseph Madigan's floor leaders. I think his title was... Deputy Speaker or something, I can't remember. Anyway, uh, so Lou Lang, there were some uh, accusations about Lou Lang, uh, his behavior toward women that proved to be unfounded uh, and uh, without merit. Uh, But uh, it was an embarrassment to uh, Michael Madigan. There were other accusations dealing with Michael Madigan Confederates on this subject, uh, including some, oh my God, uh, the um, Elena Hampton uh, allegations. And so Michael Madigan wanted to just separate himself uh, from any further embarrassment. So he called Mike, Michael McClain uh, and told him uh, to lower the boom on Lou Lang. Uh, and the FBI was recording the phone calls. And so they have conversations between Madigan and McClain and then McClain and Lang, et cetera, and so forth. And you can go listen to them. Uh, in uh, uh, it's all over the internet. So I'm not minimizing what Michael Madigan did. I understand why legitimate investigative reporters in the city of Chicago are outraged and are spending time, shout out Danny Miolopoulos, uh, investigating this, writing about this. Uh, Dave McKinney, shout out to you as well. So it's an important story about corruption. The way Michael Madigan controlled Springfield for me as a lefty, a progressive, whatever you call me, uh, was outrageous. He used his power to stifle legislation that lefties wanted for years and years until he realized that the tides had turned and it was no longer his advantage to stifle that legislation. And so then he let it pass. It was not like he had a moment of enlightenment, ladies and gentlemen. Don't for one minute believe he like became a liberal or a progressive. He could just read the tides. So one day he was against gay marriage. The next day he was for gay marriage because he figured that's what most of his uh, of his caucus members wanted. And he was all about making sure his caucus members were reelected because then they would vote for him to be speaker. Duh. (laughs) It wasn't like Michael Madigan goes, you know, I went on a retreat and I concluded at the end of that retreat that gay marriage is just so fundamentally important 
to our country that I am now going to endorse it. Same thing with legalizing reefer. Michael Joseph Madigan looked the other way with our insane marijuana laws. Black people get thrown into jail for stuff that white people do every day. He didn't care. He said nothing. All of a sudden, he realized, you know, maybe my caucus members want it because their constituents want it. He's for it. Come on, Chicago. You guys are so, don't be dumb. Don't think like he went through an evolution. That's how he controls it. All right. And it would frustrate people like me because for years and years and years, he thought stuff that I believed in was loser legislation. So he wasn't going to let it see the light of day. Meanwhile, come Ed, come in all right. Hike, sure. Come on in. Meanwhile, uh, just in case you, uh, it's just as long as you, you know, hire my cronies. So, yeah, it was problematic to put it mildly uh, that he would be in charge of the, the state house and he would have such control. But Chicago, I want to ask you a question. Why are you acting like you're so concerned about it? Why are you acting like you care so much about it? Why do you pretend as though you're outraged by it? You'd say, oh, my God, he was a boss. Listen to how he bossed Michael McClain around. Listen to how Michael McClain called Lou Lang, and Lou Lang was just, like, dispatched. You love bosses. Since when do you dislike bosses? You elected Richard M. Daly as your mayor from 1989 to 2011. You still be voting for him. <laughs> he just finally said, I'm so tired of being your mayor. I want out. But you would still be voting for him, Chicago. And he was the bossiest boss of them all. You replaced him with another boss, Rahm Emanuel, <laughs> always bossing people around. And then you reelected him. He did a god-awful job that first four years you still voted for him and then because there were so many candidates on the ballot to replace rom you couldn't get around to voting for a boss so you you had Lori lightfoot who tried to be bossy was bossy but no one was afraid of her you booted her and guess what you're about to elect another boss Paul Vallis, all you folks on the southwest side and the northwest side who love Paul Vallis, Alden Lowry told me there were some precincts on the northwest and southwest side that went over 80% for Paul Vallis, 80%. Cheering him in the St. Patrick's Day parade. Can't get enough of Paul Vallis. The Gold Coast is just like wrapping themselves up in Paul Vallis flags. I got flags in my mind because my guest my distinguished guest holding on is wrapped himself up with an, I think it's an Irish flag. I think, I'm not sure. He'll tell me when he comes on. It's St. Patrick's Day. So, folks, why is it that you love bossy mayors like Daly, Rom, and now Vallis, Gold Coast, Beverly, Mount Greenwood, Sauganash? You know you're going to vote for this guy. You love him. He's going to be a boss. He's going to be in charge. He's going to be an autocrat. He's going to put people in their place. He's going to run this city the way this city has to be run. Oh, my God. You guys are so excited. You can't even fall asleep at night. You're just dreaming of boss Vallis. And yet you're outraged by Michael Joseph Madigan. I think you were brainwashed by Rauner, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> you know, where's Rauner when I need him? 
How about if Rauner were to air commercials fortified by Kenny G's handouts denouncing Paul Vallis as a boss? He's a boss. He's a Democratic boss. It's hilarious, man. This city is so... Vallis, the old Rauner gang is basically supporting Vallis. Uh, in order to get an election, elected Vallis is going, I'm a lifelong Democrat, except for the part of my life when I wasn't a Democrat, so not really lifelong. And yet Chicago hates bosses. Your piece of work, city of Chicago, you are a piece of work. All right, without further ado, I'm calling on my ace, my ace guest for Oh, What a Week, the great comedian and talk show host and uh, impresario, Patrick J. Whalen. Welcome back, Pat. Thank you, Ben. Always nice to be called an impresario <laughs> and, and always nice to be with you. I, I definitely, I smell what you're stepping on with, uh, with Mad Dog, but I, I think you're off on one thing. You know, you mentioned that he didn't really care about policy. You know, he doesn't care about the inner machinations. It's more about just, you know, moving the ball legislatively and politically. I think he got very interested in, in, the, in the machinations of wiretap law very recently. <laughs> I, think, I think he got, he, he's really boning up on that stuff in the last year or so. Happy St. Patrick's Day, man. Uh, <laughs> by the way, is that uh, Irish flag that you're draped in? No, it's a Mexican flag. Yes, Ben, it's an Irish flag. I'm, I'm, I'm draped in an Irish flag. I have my Dropkick Murphys shirt on. I'm, I'm eating a hunk of Irish soda bread as big as my head and having that along with, uh, with some coffee with, with a, a natural Irish preservative that comes direct from the island. Uh, and don't forget the little floppy hat you're wearing. Uh, yes, which... this is this is for those of you at home that are just listening. This is my Tiz himself hat. <laughs> a lot of people think that's a reference to St. Patrick's Day. It's actually a reference to the 1978 Richard Daly autobiography himself. Oh my God! By Eugene Kennedy. Wow, where'd you get that? I got my ways. I got you. You know wait. We're we're Irish. We're we're everywhere. We help each other out, you know. So, do you have a Irish brogue that you'll unveil for us before we move on to uh, the topics? Of I the day? do. Let me let me impart a little a little knowledge for for once. Let me give you some knowledge, Ben. I'm um, this is called a, a a mnemonic device that is used in theater and television, which is something you say that helps your brain sink into a dialect that you'd want to do. So, I want you to repeat after me, Ben. I want you to say. We heard the first verse perfectly. <clears throat> we heard the first verse perfectly. Perfect example of a Chicago dialect. Thank you. And now I want you to take all the errs and change them to airs. We heard. <laughs> we heard the first verse perfectly. <laughs> And there you are. Once you say we heard the verse first perfectly, there you are in a fine West Dublin accent. You can keep that going all the time and you can slip it into conversation. And when you're lost downtown in the loop and you're too embarrassed to ask for directions, you can just slip into a brogue and act like you're from out of town, don't you know? So that when people give you directions, they don't say, aren't you from around here? Haven't you lived here the last 12 years? Don't you know where the water tower is by now? It's right by the American Girl Doll store, you fool. 
Wow, that's pretty good, man. But like, later today, we'll hear uh, Pat's Nick Spazzato imitation. Do not let the show end without that. Uh, but that's uh, pretty good. Uh, you know, as a regular listener of the show, Michael Joseph Madigan is nodding his head along going, no, that's pretty good. That sounds. Man, sacrilege to talk smack about a Michael Madigan on St. Patrick's Day. But I'll let it slide, Ben. I'll let it slide. Let it You're slide. a bit of an impresario yourself. Yes, I just like saying the word impresario. I'm not quite even sure what it means, but uh, just well, that would work because I like being called an impresario, yeah. so everybody wins. Uh, so all right, we'll start off. I uh, prepared my soul on uh, Mad Dog Madigan uh, and Chicago Democrats, uh, who have a very interesting uh, a dual sense of when they like and when they don't like bosses. Uh, what's the first topic on your brain right now? Well, I mean, obviously it is uh, Ireland, uh, I'm, you know, of course, um, you know, but, the, but <laughs> Ben is joking, listeners, he's not able to keep it together for that one. Um, but yeah, the Chicago mayoral election is, is front and center. I, I, have, I have something that I'd like to be proven wrong about what you're saying about Madigan and how people are drawn to you know, a, a strong hand. I, I don't think I don't think it's a geographic thing uh, for this area. I think it's more of a human thing. And you know, when I uh, when I left Grant Park the night that uh, then uh, President-elect Obama gave his victory speech, you know, me and my other you know out-of-towner white college kids were marching back to our dorm through the loop, and we're patting each other on the back because we just solved racism. We did it. We yeah. voted for the right guy and we solved all the problems uh, that that are facing this country. We're, we've, we've done it. Great job, everyone. And we took our buttons off our backpacks and we put them in a shoebox or threw them away. And we said, we're done. We voted for the right guy. He's going to take care of everything. He's the solution. We don't need to stay engaged anymore. And if any election has taught us anything, it's that of Mayor Lori Lightfoot, where a lot of people were looking at her as bringing the light, this massive progressive voice, this, this tectonic shift in the, in the power and ideologies on the fifth floor of City Hall. And people took their eyes off the ball, and here we are at the end of the term, and they're not so happy with how it all played out. So, you know, it's never a good idea to challenge the listener too hard. But I, I would say that I think folks are drawn to a strong hand in people who promise them the moon because they'd like to have the moon. They would <laughs> like to have someone who is uh, going to solve all their problems for them or at least tell them that they're going to. So I, I don't know. That's neither well, here nor there. It reminds me of um, uh, people when you say people uh, believing uh, when a candidate, when they say they uh, promise in the moon, uh, I infamously voted for Lori Lightfoot uh, 2019, and my lefty listeners have been mocking me ever since, uh, largely based on uh, her responses to the questions that McDumkey and I had for her at the hideout show we did. Uh, it, I guess it would have been March of uh, 2019, and everything I wanted to hear, she said, and then she didn't deliver on any of them, uh, to which... Uh, <laughs> Everyone I know, including McDumkey, goes, why would you believe what a politician tells you? <laughs> in election season. Yeah. In why? They're just telling you what you want to hear. So Chicago, I just say this. Paul Vallis has promised to make Chicago the safest city in America. And I'm like, it's good. 
absolutely to be concerned about the safety and well-being of the citizenry. Absolutely. Of course, we should constantly be thinking about like effective policing strategies and the best way to uh, minimize crime. But the notion that a city that has been violent for as long as anyone can remember, St. Valentine's Day massacre, ever heard of it, Chicago? It's suddenly going to be the safest city in America is so preposterous that it just might work. <laughs> it just might work in getting him elected mayor. Yes. You're <laughs> right. You're right. Uh, so uh, anyway, all right. Uh, you just triggered that thought. Um, so uh, on no, your mind, young man. Yeah, I, well, that that kind of plays into it. I, I I don't know about you, Ben, but I was I I was listening to the debate last night, and um, you know, there's there's plenty of different ways we could go with this, but I I think the uh, the Paul Vallis quote that that you told me about that Greg Pratt tweeted um, really sticks in my mind. First, I'd be remiss, and I hate being remiss, Ben. So I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention. Um, on Tuesday, I have another show of my talk show at the California Clipper with Cook County Commissioner uh, Anthony Quezada. And I bring it up not just to shamelessly plug, but also to say that the, uh, that the county board is uh, reviewing legislation that would reexamine um, the way that John Burge was handled and the investigation into John Burge and, and the way that um, his colleagues and more so how he took you know, the brunt of, of the attention and consequences uh, of a, a long string of terribly racist policing practices that happened um, in the county and, and in Chicago. Um, and that, in turn, is, is connected to the quote from Heather Sharon, where a lot of this race is about public safety. And the definition of public safety for many Paul Vallis voters is the Willie Wilson quote of take the handcuffs off the police and, and let them do their jobs. And the other side, in, in the Johnson camp, you have people saying the federal government wrote us a consent decree a mile long that says we are rife with illegal practices. And uh, that's also something that when I interviewed Lori Lightfoot as the head of the police board, she said, lickety split, we'll get that uh, consent decree taken care of. And, you know, it, it wasn't like waving a magic wand. Obviously, there's a lot of institutional transigence that she had to deal with um, and is still dealing with, presumably. Um, but that it, it it came up in the debate and and this diatribe boy I'm hitting every, this is real Benjirovsky show bingo here, but um, the, uh, the the debate last night I, I looked at it two ways Ben and I'd be interested to get your take and for you listeners I only do the show because I selfishly just want to pick Ben's brain it's all I want <laughs> I want to get one on one with him and see what he thinks but I, for a while I said two things are going to happen with with Vallis one. He's going to have to defend this awake Illinois, John Catanzara, you know, all these all these relationships that he and his campaign have had in the past and the recent recent past. And he'll have to defend those. And that will draw him further left than shedding his far right supporters who would vote for Epton if they could. Um, and <laughs> the other thing that might happen is that Johnson will have to say, I don't want to defund the police, and then he'll lose the far left. And so you have this fight for the center. But what I saw last night was the opposite, is that they are digging their heels in, both of them. Johnson had a chance to ask Vallis a, a question. They had a chance to ask each other questions, which I loved. I hadn't seen that before. Um, 
when Johnson said, we had supporters at our event this morning who are harassing seniors, you know, or getting into physical altercations with people. Do you, you know, is this bad? Like, can you just say that we, we, don't, we don't support or condone any such behavior? And Vallis wouldn't do it. He wouldn't say that type of behavior is unacceptable. I condone that sort of behavior. Anyone on my staff who participates in that behavior will be immediately fired. He didn't say that. He basically said, yeah, well, you do it too. And yeah. that when then he talked for 30 seconds about whatever he wanted to. Um, so, you know, th this idea of public safety and what it means for people, it, it, I, I don't know. I, I think the winner, again, is going to be undecided. And I'm looking forward to the, the last uh, debate where Vallis and Johnson just, you know, play mousetrap or tiddlywinks <laughs> or something because they're going to. They're going to run out of things to talk about. And so they're just going to be like, I don't know, who could throw a football the farthest? You know what I mean? Stuff like that. Yeah. Who uh, could throw a football? I put my money on Brandon Johnson on throwing a football. Um, you know, we, we, I, we, we talked about this yesterday. The whole issue of trying to separate themselves uh, from the strongest rhetoric that appeals to their base uh, as they move toward the center. And my view of this is that um, the turnout will be so low, so embarrassingly low, uh. that the pool of voters that would probably maybe uh, be most turned on by Brandon Johnson's discussion of new ways of policing and moving away from the old ways of policing they're not going to be deciding factor in this election. Uh, and as a result, my guess is, and I don't have privy, I'm not privy to, I don't uh, have private conversations with the Brandon Johnson campaign. They don't include me in, in their uh, tactical discussions. But my guess is their internal polling shows they got to move to the center to win this election. And so that's why Brandon yesterday was talking about he's not in favor of defunding the police. And then that's what the media picked up on. Uh, and there's two ways you could run that. One, you can run that as be rest assured, mainstream Chicago. He's not for defunding the police. Or you could run it at Brandon Johnson flip flops. <laughs> Details at 10. And I, you can t guess which way mainstream Chicago ran it. Uh, Paul Vallis. Uh, on the other hand, has, you're absolutely correct, spent the last three years playing footsie with the far right uh, in Chicago and in the state of Illinois. And uh, that sewed up the MAGA vote for him. Uh, and that picked up the Gold Coast vote for him as well, which has kind of become MAGA country. Mm -hmm. Gold Coast has kind of come weird way MAGA country, so long as you just assure them that you uh, are for abortion rights without saying the word abortion. You can't say a word abortion, but you could just kind of like, what do they call it? Reproductive care. I think that's what they call it. I think that's what uh -huh. Tommy, Tommy called it. So, um, so Vallis kind of walked away from, remember he questioned uh, a different debate. He was like, did I say the handcuff thing? Uh, and then Eric Zorn took the deep dive and went through all the evidence to see who said handcuffs and when did he say, take the handcuffs off or did he say they had the handcuffs on and it became like splitting hairs. But yes, the handcuff imagery was definitely used by you, Paul Vallis. 
So is but, he moving? I don't th- sense that he's moving away from it as much as Brandon's moving away from the defund the police because I, my guess is that their internal polls are showing that the undecided vote want does not want to hear defund the police. And I, that's my guess. Go ahead. No, I, I agree. I mean, there's I, here's here's the distinction I would make between them. Last night, I think Johnson did a good job of saying I'm not doing I'm not I'm not supporting defund the police as you understand it. I am interested in and then he explained, you know, he said, I'm going to invest in people. And he gave very specific examples of programs and and things that he would focus on if he had the reins of the city to be able to do that. On the other hand, Paul Vallis has not gone away from that rhetoric. He simply denies things when asked, did you say this? Like he did the ballot with Laura Washington for Block Club, which was excellent and still on YouTube. It was before uh, the the primary. So I definitely recommend that to your listeners. Um, And he just flat out denied things that there are clips of him saying, and he's done that. And, but that aside, the, the things that he was talking about last night where he's, he just keeps saying this of that. As soon as I take over thousands last night, it had been hundreds last night. It was thousands of police officers will simply return to the Chicago police department. Just when I take over. Yeah. And without explaining your policy, you know, your granular, you know, what, what exactly will, will change that. It does make me wonder why is that? Why, why would they leave in the first place if the problem is we got to ha- take the handcuffs off the police and they're under too much scrutiny of a federal consent decree sent by the Justice Department? <laughs> yeah. And when I take over, they're all going to come back. The only logical step that I can take in my mind is that is because I will not enforce the consent decree. And that's a policy right there. And it's said without being said. And he's done it many different ways. And, you know, the suicide rates in the Chicago Police Department make me sick. There is clearly something very wrong with the way this all happens. But I think getting away from, like, constitutional policing isn't going to help anybody solve these types of problems. That, that's just what I heard in, in, in between the words last night, Ben. Uh, you know what? That's very astute of you. I give you a lot of credit for that. The subliminal messages uh, that are uh, emanating from these debates uh, and uh, just the dog whistles. Uh, you're absolutely correct. They're, they're articulating uh, their positions in such a nuanced way, uh, not to take the brunt of the most extreme rhetoric, but to still keep their uh, base listening and hearing what they want to hear. Uh, well done, Patrick J. Whalen. That was really good. Yeah. <laughs> he raises, I, he's drinking some uh, Irish I'm you very oil. much, Ben. I hope you heard the first verse perfectly on that one. But, you know, the, the thing is, is that uh, Paul Vallis' uh, hardcore support is so strong. It's almost Trump-like. Remember Trump said he could kill someone, shoot somebody on uh, Fifth Avenue and they would still uh, vote for him, you know? Not that <laughs> the person he shot, but just his, you know, that person could not vote because he's dead. Uh, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, first of all, I think the word almost is doing a lot of work in that sentence you just gave about his support is almost Trump-like. Um, 
Heavy lifting by that one preposition there. I think it's a preposition. Uh, not a journalist. Uh, the other thing is, you know, we mentioned earlier that Greg Pratt uh, quote that, or the tweet that you sent me of Vallis's quote. You know, I don't know if you read the whole thing, but what, what Vallis was asked, hey, did you hear about the Chewy endorsement? By the way, hearing Jesse oh. Jackson Sr. endorsing Brandon Johnson sometime soon. That's getting whispered about online. Yeah. Um, and... Paul Vallis was asked, did you, did you hear about the Chewy endorsement for Johnson? He says, oh, you know, I don't, I don't pay too much uh, attention, <laughs> attention to endorsements. But it's, it's the second part for me, which was I am focusing on yeah. rank and file voters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah what the hell does that mean? Rank and file, of course, typically used to describe, you know, police people, you know, yeah. police. The, the troops. Uh, yeah. Uh, so let me go back to whatever <laughs> finishing. We'll come back to the, uh, the Paul Vallis quote, cause that'll really me into endorsements. Um, so I believe that the, uh, I don't know, 44% of the city that just adores Paul Vallis, uh, for whatever reasons will vote for him, no matter what he says, uh, it could come out that he's against, abortion rights it could come out that uh he uh, wants to ban critical race theory in the school uh it could come out that he thinks that teaching uh the history of race relations in this country will turn uh black children into criminals uh and will destroy the bonds of connection between white parents and their children which is sort of what he said i, I sort of Go ahead. Yeah, which is, well, it's hard to say exactly what he said because it was so illogical. It reminds me of the days, Pat. Uh, oh God, I would, be quoting some daily official, this is the 90s and the O's, saying something absolutely incoherent uh, and nonsensical. And some reader editor would like chide me. Well, what did they mean? How do I know what they mean? I didn't say it. What are you giving me grief for? <laughs> Okay, you. By the way, editor, you probably voted for Daily. These they always do that. <laughs> you probably voted for this guy. You want me to make sense of him? So people are saying, Ben, you're not being fair to Paul Vallis and his opinions on critical race theory. Okay, I challenge you to make sense of him. It's like you're that that lady who went on um, uh, there in the interview on the. Uh, uh, the TV show, and they asked her, "What is woke?" And she was like, "Oh my god, this is going viral." So Chicago, you said to like this guy. You you tell me what he thinks about critical race theory. And, and he's I, always when he does this, he always goes, "You know what?" Uh, I, I'll let some schools teach critical race theory. So we like, you know, like a charter school uh, with an Afrocentric curriculum. They'll get to teach uh, critical race theory. But like, I don't know, Whitney Young, Taft, Lane Tech. I'm just rattling off names of uh, high schools in the city of Chicago. Pop into my head. Westinghouse. They're not going to be allowed. To. So I, I uh, now endorsements. Um so, no, let me just finish the point. The point is they don't care. They're going to vote for him. But, you know, is that going to be enough to put him over the top? And I vacillate on this question day to day, young Patrick. But at the moment, I'm like, I don't know, Paul. 
you know, I got to see a poll that shows you over 50% before I sign. And I keep seeing you at 44, 45%, something like that. Like, have you hit your ceiling? I, you know, I really, I think I, we talked about this last time when DeSantis was in town, but um, did you freeze? Oh, no, you're not frozen. Okay, you're just listening. Thank you. Um, <laughs> um, people at the DeSantis event were already complaining to Shia Kapos about how Paul was equivocating on his very back the blue talking points back then. And that, to me, was an example, I, I think, for the, the MAGA-esque support that he has they're pretty dyed in the wool and they don't like a guy who equivocates, who steps back from what he says because they like Donald Trump and Donald Trump is never wrong, never apologized, never, you know, don't repeat uh, the, the opinion that you had the first time that was super strong. And that to me is why we, we haven't seen this tied up yet. You know, there's been a steady three on endorsements the whole time. My memory's a little short, but this week, you know, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Chewy Garcia, uh, Jim Clyburn, for God's sake. I mean, you know, he went down to Selma and when uh, Brandon Johnson went down to Selma and marked across, uh, marched across the bridge. And when he did that, I said, if he doesn't come back with some big fish, I don't know why he's leaving town. And he did. He brought home those fish. He went down there. He made some traction. Apparently, he spoke with President Biden. I don't know how long the meeting was or what they talked about, but it was it was a strategic move. And it's paying off now with Vallis we're running out of older people, you know, like we're running out of people in the council uh, who have room for endorsement or, you know, room to uh, back a Paul Vallis. And that's why I think you're seeing on his Twitter account that it's like, Joe, the bartender from the place you like has, has endorsed Paul Vallis, you know, like yeah. the guy who do, you know, the, 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 this Aramark truck driver supports Al Paul Vallis, you know what I mean? Like, um, which is fine because a lot of people are just dyed in the wool about it. And as long as he doesn't get specific about his police policy questions, that should probably be fine. But I mean, it's going to be a barn burner. You've been saying that for ages and it feels like it's going to be a photo finish as well. Yes. Uh, so let's take a little deeper dive on these endorsements. Uh, and uh, that tweet uh, from uh, Gregory Pratt, shout out, Greg, that was very funny. Uh, he was actually quoting Paul Vallis. Uh, so Paul Vallis has structured his uh, campaign, uh, his message that he puts out uh, over uh, TV on his commercials that are paid for by uh, contributions uh, from get the stuff done. People. Yeah, the gets just they are people. getting a lot of stuff done. They get stuff done. Who love bosses except for Michael Madigan, uh, that crowd, uh, and um, so the message is that he uh, is supported by various black politicians in Chicago. And he's put that message out and he always aired like this, who, this. Jesse White supports me. Walter Burnett supports me every time. He holds a press conference every every time he can when he gets an endorsement. So here we go. Uh, Jesus Chewy Garcia, who came in, I believe, third in the election. I want to say third. Uh, and uh, who is influential uh, with Latino voters, to put it mildly, which big chunk of undecided voters uh, has endorsed Brandon Johnson. Suddenly endorsements don't matter. I don't care about endorsements. I just want rank and file. And I'm like, whoa, why don't you just put rank and file guys up instead of Jesse White? Take down the Jesse White commercials. You know what I mean? Apologize. I apologize for the Jesse White commercials. I suddenly decided that they don't matter endorsement. 
so you know, it's spin. I mean, I would wish an Albert uh, a Kennedy would be honest when it comes to endorsements just once, but of course it'll never happen. So like Paul Bowles goes, you know, I'm really disappointed. I wanted that. Chewy Garcia, God damn it. I wanted that endorsement. Uh, you know, and, well, or, you know what? I don't care. I don't care about Chewy Garcia. You know, say that. Sure. Um, well, I mean, I guess we'll have to settle for the J Maul green endorsement, but um, <laughs> I think uh, I, you know, I, I wish one of the, one of the, uh, reporters that was at the Vallis press conference to say, hey, if you don't care about endorsements, why are you doing this at the same time as the Chewy endorsement presser that's going yeah. on right now? Yeah. Isn't that a hell of a coincidence? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he cares about endorsements tremendously, ladies and gentlemen. Don't kid yourself. Uh, this occurred to me. I made this point uh, with uh, the interview I did with Alden Lowry, Alden Lowry uh, which will drop tomorrow. I urge everybody to check it out. Uh, and um, so I was when somehow or other, all I forget what it was that all I was talking about. It triggered this memory of mine. And I right there and then wrote down from memory, uh, just maybe it was an Alzheimer test to see if I could do it. How many aldermen, black aldermen endorsed Harold Washington in 1983? And I'll explain this. So Harold Washington back then to get to the finals, there was a primary system and Harold Washington first ran in a democratic primary. We don't have a primary system anymore. We have a nonpartisan system uh, for electing mayor. And so Harold Washington ran in a primary democratic primary to be the democratic nominee to run in the general election. And his opponents were incumbent mayor, Jane Byrne and Cook County state's attorney, Richie Daly. And of the black aldermen, in the city council and all the women in the city council in 1983, Byrne and Daly got more endorsements together than Harold Washington. I think Jane Byrne may have gotten more uh, black aldermen to endorse her than Harold Washington did. I, I have to do a deeper dive to say that with any guarantee, but definitely Daly and Byrne together got more endorsements. And I couldn't think of any white alderman who endorsed Harold uh, in that first go around in 1983. So Flash forward to 2023, and Paul Vallis is very proud of all the black aldermen and all the women who've endorsed him. I couldn't think of any white alderman, non-socialist white alderman. So I think Daniel Espada is the only white alderman, he's a socialist, who has endorsed Brandon Johnson. Now just pause for a moment, Chicago, and just think about that. Not one am I, I I want correct me if I'm wrong, Pat. You know the city council inside out because you go to the meetings. Uh I don't think any white alderman has endorsed Brandon Johnson. Sue Garza, I'm not sure if she's endorsed him or not. On uh, the first go-around, she didn't. So I find that a very interesting, choosing my words carefully, interesting, revealing maps. Uh, observation about the racial dynamic in Chicago and uh, attitudes that white people have about endorsing black people versus the attitudes that black people have about endorsing white people. And I would say it sort of established an, just uh, an essential fact that when it comes to making endorsements, black people are far more open-minded about endorsing white candidates than white people when it comes to black candidates. 
for whatever reason. Now, I'm sure as I say this, uh, thousands and thousands of white people in the city of Chicago will be outraged. Like somehow I'm suggesting they're bigoted or prejudiced or have a bias against black people in positions of power. But folks, I'm just pointing out and uh, just just pointing this out. Can you think of any white aldermen? Have I missed any, Pat? That no, I, I just checked the campaign website and can confirm that there are four white people who are elected officials that are listed as endorsing Brandon Johnson. Uh, two of them are senators, one congressperson and one alder person. <laughs> so you named Laspata. Yeah. And he, you are correct. That is the only white alder person uh, who has endorsed the Brandon Johnson campaign. It's that interesting, Chicago. Wow. I'm sure it's because Paul Valls is just such an outstanding candidate. <laughs> last time around, you only gave him 5% of your vote. But, oh, suddenly the last four years, he's been hanging around. I'm trying to think, what is different about Paul Vallis this time around in 2019? Well, he spent the last four years playing footsie with MAGA. Does that make him more attractive to you? He lost his broom. <laughs> he was he was going around last time like it was a scene out of the Dust Bowl with his wire rim glasses and his his brooms. Like what is it, 1930? What is this? It's like a scene from Oh Brother Where Art Thou, right? Yeah. Abby O'Daniel endorses Paul Vallis. I'm trying to think. Wait, let me see if I could do. So you said uh, on his your there were four white politicians listed who've endorsed him. One is Daniel Espada, alderman of the first ward, who's a Democrat, a Democratic socialist. So he's a socialist. I couldn't imagine not endorsing him. Uh, and you said uh, two were state senators and one was a congressperson. Is that correct, Senator? Is that what you said? Uh, it's cheating to give you what their positions are. But you did say that. All right. So I assume the Congress. But no, no, I, Ben, I did not say state senators. Oh, Senator Tammy Duckworth and Durbin? Have they endorsed? Did I miss that? No. Durbin's not white. Sanders and Warren. Oh, my God. You're right. You're right. I was thinking Illinois. You're right. You're right. Uh, I'm sorry. There, There is one state rep who yes, has. Yes, Kelly Cassidy. Would, no. Look, my mouth. I'm just telling you what's on the website. Uh, who is the state rep? Wait, let me. You know him. Uh, state rep. Oh, Will Gazzardi. That's correct. The tallest man in the delegation. Will, go down low, put your hands in the air. We'll get you the ball. Post them up, okay? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, so it's, uh, it's, very, it's really pathetic. Just saying white people. <laughs> it's really pathetic. Guys, you're pathetic. Sorry about that. So uh, whether these lack of endorsements matter uh, one way or the other, or the endorsements matter, I, I don't know. Clearly the campaign uh, think they matter. It's, it's momentum builders. It's good news for them. They hold press conferences to announce them. Uh, they uh, use the endorsements to raise money uh, and uh, they highlight the endorsements and commercials. So let's not pretend they don't matter, Paul Vallis. Okay. Uh, but wow, mm, I didn't realize. I, I think Kelly Cassidy uh, endorsed uh, Brandon, but maybe she did so out of her uh, position with the 49th Ward Democrats. That could be uh, the case. All right. Uh, so enough on endorsements. Uh, you had some thoughts about the city council. 
young Patrick. Go ahead. Yes. Uh, beware the Ides of March, as they say. Um, on the, it was the 15th, wasn't it? Um, second to last, um, you know, council with this current crop, including uh, whoever will be on the dais. Um, I, I took time off work and I went down. I sat right at the 50 yard line uh, for the council proper. I did show up at noon instead of 10 o'clock because you know, they, they do all the resolutions, you know, before with their name and street signs and congratulating people. And, you know, I'm, I'm there for the policy. I'm a wonk, Ben. I'm not a wonk. I just, I love drama. Um, and so, uh, yeah, the, the biggest thing for me was, uh, it was a great day at the council as always, but it was very strong last day of school vibes on the city council. Um, a lot of energy, a, a lot of excitement. Uh, of course, you know, they, they voted on the uh, labor relations bill. Uh, Susana Rodriguez Sanchez uh, champion alongside, I believe, asked me uh, to, to whip the council and get it done with only two no votes, pass with flying colors, uh, a very contentious discussion about uh, housing migrants uh, in the city as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know me, I'm just a big old geek, bro. Look at me. I'm, I'm wrapped in an Irish flag wearing a Dropkick Murphy shirt, you know. Um, but but it's um, it's exciting. You know, those are hallowed halls for me. So I, I love going down there and watching it in person. Someone asked me, they said, what are you doing here? And I said, why read about fireworks in the paper when you can see them go off in person? Uh, you know? Yeah, we're, we'll be taking a deep dive on Tuesday. Dave Glotz will be here uh, with clips of that council meeting and uh, we'll be a uh, uh, analyzing it, uh, probably. Well, I haven't. I don't know what clips he's going to choose, but my guess is he's going to uh, uh, choose clips about the uh, debate uh, over housing uh, immigrants uh, on the south side of Chicago. Uh, Jeanette Taylor's confrontation with uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Mayor Lori Lightfoot is sort of uh, going out of office the way she came into office, fighting with the Chicago City Council uh, for no apparent reason, and. Um, I cannot understand why she continues to do that, uh, but she does. And um, the uh, labor relations bill, yes, uh, that uh, allows uh, union uh, employees of not-for-profits uh, that are getting money uh, from uh, the city to uh, unionize. And uh, there were only two no votes, as Patrick uh, just pointed out. Uh, one no vote came from Tom Tunney, the exiting alderman of the 44th Ward, uh, who has always been sort of like the Chamber of Commerce view uh, on the city council, very uh, anti-union and, uh, and I would say pro-employer. Uh, that's sort of where he comes from. And then Brian Hopkins, who I guess is going to pick up that torch now that Tom uh, Tunney is leaving and will now be the new anti-union guy uh, in the Chicago City Council. Uh, both of them have endorsed Paul Vallis, who has received a uh, strong support from trade unions. So my guess is that Paul Vallis is going to distance himself from his fervent supporters on this issue, which will be an interesting, by the way, uh, endorsement. Uh, game that he'll be playing. So on one hand, he'll be using Tommy Tony, uh, propping him up to try to assure voters that uh, Paul Vallis is uh, 
not transphobic, even though he hangs out with transphobic people, uh, and is not anti-abortion, even though he hangs out with anti-abortion people. That's Tom Tunney's role. Uh, Tom Tunney will try to do that role without mentioning the word abortion. So it's going to be an interesting, <laughs> interesting balancing. I apparently that if you say the word abortion uh, in a focus group setting, I'm guess you get a Turner. negative response. Uh, and so uh, we're going to say that he supports abortion rights without mentioning the word abortion, because that would maybe turn some people off. We got to keep our coalition uh, together. But so they'll use Tom Tunney for that. Follow me on this, Patrick. Uh, but we're not going to mention that Tom Tunney was one of the only two in the whole city council who voted against this employees rights bill. So that's called juggling Chicago. And also it's because like, I don't want to hear that because it goes against message. I'm going to pretend like it doesn't exist, which is a favorite thing in the city council. Similar uh, to it, it's the issue that's raised in the debate over um, uh, the uh, housing uh, immigrants to the city that are being bussed up uh, from Texas. That's one of those issues that divides the left to some degree because it's a further split between uh, blacks and Hispanics in the city of Chicago, a split that really began in full force in the 90s with Daily and HDO uh, and has been used quite successfully by Daily Ram uh, and now Paul Vallis uh, to, um, you know, get elected. Well, Paul Vallis, it hasn't worked for him yet. So um, that's a, a very similar thing there. Uh, you had a Nick Spazzato moment at the city council. Is that correct? Alderman Nick Spazzato from. Uh... I did. I did. I was actually sitting uh, right. I believe I was directly behind uh, Viegas. So I had a great view of Rosana Rodriguez Sanchez as, as she got her bill over the finish line. And I also had a great view of, uh, of one Nick Spazzato. And it was, it was with a heavy heart that, he, that he said to the mayor, uh, you know, thank, thank you, Madam Mayor. Uh, you know, I know we don't we don't get along on uh, on our politics, but uh, you know, it has been an honor to serve as the chair of the Happy Committee, uh, the Committee on Special Events, and uh, you know, it's just it's been an honor. And it was somewhere around there that he started to get verklempt, uh, you know, as he was reading his last committee report. A hush fell over the crowd. Handkerchiefs came out of pockets, um, and then everyone got pissed about NASCAR. Uh, but you know, it it was it was kind of nice, you know. And 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 he and Lightfoot did you know go back and forth and say give a respectful goodbye to each other. Um, but uh, yeah, it, Nick Nick, I don't think he's so much sad that uh, the mayor Lightfoot is leaving, but that he he may lose his chairmanship. Well, he's endorsed Vallis. Uh... And uh, so that's another uh, set of machinations and maneuvers that went have, went down uh, at the last city council meeting. And again, I'm sure we'll be talking about this with Dave Glowatz. But there was an effort put forth by Scott Wagesback uh, to um, uh, hold on <laughs> his finance committee chair, which is the plum assignment. There's like three, I think, zoning. No, I would say housing chair, zoning chair. Uh, and budget and finance, but finance yeah. is probably the every contract every and the budget. happy committee, Ben. And the happy happy committee is is a nice one because you have patronage and a budget, and no one really cares except for with the case of NASCAR. 
Uh, and so uh, he was uh, roundly denounced uh, by all kinds of people uh, for that effort because uh, traditionally the council is not reorganized. The council chairs uh, are not reorganized uh, until after a mayoral election, and the mayor has a huge role in determining uh, who council chairs are. And so what Scotty Wagesback's trying to do is to get it done before the mayoral election uh, so that he can hold on to his chair. Uh, and by the way, it doesn't mean if let's say they did pass it by some miracle next week, it could be undone by the new city council. Uh, I must admit, I don't think this is a good idea. I believe that the incoming alderman should have a say uh, in the organization of the city council, that we shouldn't. 15 seats. 15 seats. I think it's kind of ridiculous. It's very similar. Uh, it's interesting. The arguments being raised by uh, foes of Scotty Wagesbat's proposal saying, oh, we have to recognize the new alderman. I'd like to point out you guys were singing a different song four years ago with Lincoln Yards uh, when Mayor Rahm uh, shoved that down our throats, $1.3 billion handout to a developer to gentrify an already gentrifying neighborhood that didn't need the money. Uh, when he shoved that down our throats at his last meeting, uh, you, he did that. He saddled the next city council with an obligation uh, while people like Pat O'Connor were leaving. I didn't have to worry about it. So, you know, it's a classic case of I said one thing yesterday. I'm going to say something else uh, today. And aldermen are very good at that. Uh, but that said, I believe in the principle that you should wait until the new aldermen come in, the new uh, alderwomen as well, and then make uh, the decision who gets to be the council chair. I, I know there's going to be new leadership, but if you're worried about your your losing your chair so much why don't you just work late one night and then leave with it you know just throw it in the back of the car and take it home with you she'll be at zany's next week uh i i but nick Spazato, don't worry about that committee you endorse Vallis. i think you're safe if he's win if he wins if Brandon Johnson wins, yeah, I think you're giving up uh, that committee. Uh, yeah, I think that's pretty safe. Either way, I'm looking forward to going to the NASCAR races with you, Ben. I got some good tickets for us, buddy. We're right by the exit. Oh, God, what a joke. Mayor Lori Lightfoot uh, thought that bringing NASCAR to Chicago would show the city that uh, she was the kind of business-oriented chief executive who could get things done with the private sector. Not I, I, uh, a lefty uh, socialist. Go ahead. I know it was a bad deal, but I think it's great that NASCAR is going to repave John Baptiste, uh, John Baptiste Jusaba Lakeshore Drive after the race. Yeah, that's exactly what they're going to do. Uh, uh, if you believe that, uh, I got land for, I got a bridge free in uh, Arizona. But uh, so, yeah, so now we're going to have to, that'll be an ongoing conversation on this show. Uh, the NASCAR debacle. Uh, as the city comes to face to face with how much it's going to cost to have NASCAR, uh, what we will lose because NASCAR is there shifting taste of Chicago and uh, rearranging the calendar uh, to adjust to NASCAR. And now I just saw the Shedd Aquarium, I think it was, uh, yeah. was talking about the money they would lose uh, from uh, revenue because that people will not be able to go there or limited. There'll be a limited amount of people go there during NASCAR. So, uh, yeah, we're just coming face to face with the costs and the consequences of this decision. And by the way, 
even though she tried to prove to private Chicago, corporate Chicago, that she was the kind of mayor that could uh, work with corporations to bring high profile events to Chicago, they still didn't support her. They still uh, they, they still went with Vallis. So a lot of good it did. Uh, and I, I, I'll, I'll just say to your listeners, if, if you're not a big fan of the NASCAR deal or the fact that, you know, publicly funded uh, spaces are being used for private purposes, um, you might want to reconsider your vote for lifelong Democrat uh, Paul Vallis. <laughs> Because I, I don't think he's going to take his foot off the gas on the privatization of public assets under a Vallis administration. So, well put. Grant, Grant Park's going to be open four days of the summer, and I'm trying to do a show down there for one of them. We're going to take over. So it's only going to be three days, Chicago. Oh, it's hilarious. Uh, you're going to have to have a lot more money in the bank uh, to get that kind of. Uh... Oh, no, we're just going to wheel the desk up to the Buckingham Fountain and get inside. <laughs> That's all we're going to do. We're not going to, uh, we don't need a stage. All right. We'll close it down with the regular feature we have uh, when Patrick J uh, uh, joins us. Uh, and uh, as I pointed out many times, uh, Pat gets up early on Sundays uh, and watches all the Sunday talk shows. And uh, as he says, I do it so you don't have to do it. Uh, so thank you, Pat. We really appreciate that. The guy actually likes doing it. Uh, and uh, uh, he's, he also knows by heart. Each show, each host, when they come on, which network they're on, impressive, very impressive uh, amount of knowledge he has. So what's your prediction for what all the pundits and the spinmeisters will be spinning about, uh, Pat, come Sunday? God bless, Ben. Uh, as, as, as listeners know, I call it going to church. Uh, instead of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we got Chuck Todd, Margaret Brennan, and George Stephanopoulos. Um, you know, it was it, all, all the rage last time we talked uh, was Ukraine because it was uh, it was the one year anniversary. Then uh, last week, I think it was last week on Face Nation, special guest and definitely not uh, presidential candidate J.B. Pritzker joining Margaret Brennan for an interview, which I loved. Um, and, uh, you know, this week I, I was hoping you could tell me, Ben, I've been so immersed in the mayor's race that I, I'm hoping it's national news, but. You know, of course, outside of Russia buzzing our drone uh, over international waters, allegedly, uh, the, you know, Ron DeSantis, of course, the disgusting and damn near Nazified rhetoric against trans people that, that he's spitting, which I don't take very kindly to. Um, and of course, the... <laughs> What are we, the bailout that isn't a bailout, you know, it's like the Muslim ban, you know, it's like, it's, it's a ban, but it's not a ban, you know, it's, it's a bailout, but it's not a bailout. And I'm really looking forward to all these economic types going on these shows this weekend, Ben, and the host being like, so what's going on? And they just start with don't panic. <laughs> yeah. Like, Ben, can I ask you, if you're trying to get someone not to panic, do you open with don't panic? Yeah. <laughs> That's a hell of a negotiation tactic. Uh, uh, but I, you know, I'm sure your listeners are aware of Silicon Valley Bank. You know, they, they were playing around with their investor money. Um, the, the inside baseball for me that I really do pay attention to is that I think a lot of uh, federal grants are going towards research and development for technologies that they hope will come out of companies in Silicon Valley. And if these companies can't make payroll, I think President Biden might be in a bit of a pickle 
uh, when it comes to yeah. you know delivering on things like the infrastructure deal and stuff like that. So it is kind of a big deal. And the other rumbling that happened late this week is that there's started to been some ramifications in European markets that people are starting to get a little bit cold feet and saying, hey, my money's there, right? You know, in other countries. And, you know, if you're not careful, that can kind of get away from you. But that's why I keep mine under the mattress. So, well, I my prediction is that the bailout will be a, a, a silicone uh, bank will be a major topic. Uh, and so we will see. Uh, the host grilling various uh, Biden administration officials or national Democrats who come on the show, uh, trying to force them to concede that it was a bailout. Uh, so this will be the national equivalent of local Chicago reporters grilling Brandon Johnson. Are you for defund the police? Uh, and so they're going to want Biden officials to concede it's a bailout. And Biden officials do not want to concede it's a bailout because then they will be hammered by Republicans for bailing out the banks. OK, uh, and uh, so they want to bail out the banks, but they want to do so in such a way as to avoid having to say they bailed out the banks. Um, and I just, I would love to see a Republican learn how to counter. I mean, the Democrat learn how to counterpunch in this issue. Because Republicans will be like, you don't care about the little people, the rank and file, as Paul Vallis would have it. Uh, oh. You don't care. All you care about are the banks. I might try to think of one measure a Republican has ever voted on that's like would benefit a little person. They're against well, absolutely everything, including in the debate in North Dakota. I don't know if you saw that one. Uh, no, uh, Minnesota, where some uh, Republican got up a state legislator got up and said, there's no hunger in the state of Minnesota. I don't know anyone who's hungry. Yeah, I've never I, met a hungry person. I'm like, brother, person. I don't think this is the win you think it is, my man. Talk about a moment that's going viral. Uh, but your, your, your little people uh, comment does make me think. I hope that there is some mention at church this Sunday about um, Elizabeth Warren and Josh Hawley are, are linking arms over a uh, bipartisan bill to prevent big tech uh, from, you know, I, I think this is anti-monopoly basically legislation. And you know what? I'll take it. Like, it, let's, let's, it, this is the first thing across the aisle I've seen in quite some time. Yes, that will be discussed too. Holly will probably get a few appearances as a result of that. Uh, and I predict that uh, uh, the conflict, the ongoing conflict between, uh, the United States and Russia with the with the drone, yeah, uh, the US drone being was it shot down? Was it drenched with uh, gasoline emission? I'm not quite sure what brought it down, uh, but it was brought down. And so you'll have Republicans follow me saying uh, that Democrats are weak on Putin and Putin just pushes them around. Uh, uh -huh. and, and then they'll be explaining why they support Putin or neutral in uh, the war in Ukraine. That'll be an interesting little uh, walk of fun. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And I think that's why, excuse me, soda bread, it's very dry. Um, I think that's why Marco yeah. Rubio was lambasting uh, DeSantis this week. That seemed like some uh, a, a pre-maneuver maneuver. maneuver. Um, and I think you're exactly right. I think the Republicans are going to try to uh, flank the Democrats and say, you're soft on Russia, which is, yeah. boy, what is yeah. happening? 
Yeah, it's soft on Russia. Uh, so anyway, I think you're right. Uh, I don't believe Chicago will be mentioned in this cycle. But the following week, as we, the week, the Sunday before the election, I believe uh, Chicago will be featured uh, on the uh, Sunday shows, uh, and they'll be presented as a referendum on law and order. Which way are the Democrats going? Law and order. Uh, are they going to crack them down and take off the handcuffs and lock them up? Uh, or are they going, I don't know, what are they, what the opposite is, you know, because nobody says defund the police. Invest in people. <laughs> Invest, yeah, I don't, th I don't think they say it. I think they'll say, it. Uh, uh, you know, and it's funny, uh, Pat, as I think about this, this is like the third one of these elections we've had in locally. Uh, Kim Fox. If, when her real uh, re-election no, well, she beat Anita Alvarez in 2016, but her re-election run in 2020 was largely uh -huh. on crime. And uh, if you recall, both in the Democratic primary and in the general election, uh, she um, was hit hard for being soft on crime, and she was victorious. She beat that. Uh, I think Darren Bailey versus J.B. Pritzker in 2022 was very much law and order and crime. J.B. Pritzker beat that. So now I, I we would, have, roll, I would roll Tom DeVore into that one as well. Attorney General against Kwame Raul. Yes. Uh, in 2020. So now we have uh, Vallis and um, Brandon Johnson sort of fits that same format. So my guess is that will make the Sunday talk shows, but not be until the Sunday before uh, the election. I don't think they're going to spend their time on it. Well, I, I think you're right, Ben. And the good news is you won't have to watch to find out because you've got a guy for that. <laughs> That's right. He watches. So you don't have to, ladies and gentlemen. All right, Patrick J. Whalen, uh, one more time, promote your sh up upcoming show. Yes, this Tuesday, the 21st, we'll be at the California Clipper for Good Evening with Pat Whalen. Remember, it's like the Tonight Show, except it's funny. <laughs> um, and so I'll be interviewing Cook County Commissioner Anthony J. Cazada about very many things. His co-worker, Brandon Johnson, for one, this uh, legislation concerning uh, John Burge, his history as an organizer, his path to being an elected official, and, um, and how he's younger than me. I'm not going to mention that. I'm, I'm young at heart, which, which, which still counts. Um, and uh, I'm really looking forward to that interview. And, and our, our, our uh, comedic guest, Yunji Kim, uh, recent mother, Yunji Kim, uh, look her up on Instagram as the best Unji. Um, she is absolutely hilarious. So if you're able to join us, it's $10 at the door, 7 o'clock, Tuesday the 21st, 1002 California at the California Clipper. Have a good evening, as, as hopefully the kids are saying. All right. Very good. Thank you much, Pat. Uh, it's always a blast talking to you. Uh, and I also want to thank producer Chris for doing an outstanding job, as he always does. And as Patrick J. Whalen will say... Producer Chris, give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks for joining us for another Ben Jarofsky show. Don't forget, you can catch previous Ben Jarofsky shows, get Benny J bonus interviews, columns, and more great content at chicagoreader.com. And find more podcasts from the Ben Jarofsky show all over the internet on your favorite streaming and podcasting platforms. <laughs>